You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. Today is the beginning of a three-part series covering the mission, vision, and culture of the church for the next year. We kick things off with a message from Pastor Tom titled, Beyond Sunday. Let's check it out. Well, good morning, Word of Life. It is great to be able to come and spend this morning with you. Welcome, of course, to everyone that is online as well. And so we're going to be taking some time over the next three weeks. We're going to be sharing some messages that um, are not typical. Uh, We're going to be looking at the mission, vision, and the culture of the church. And we'll be sort of going through this in a way that may not necessarily be typical, but I believe it's important that we pause once in a while and we put in front of the church, this is who we are. This is what our mission is. This is what we believe is coming up. This is what we're working towards. This is what we're going to celebrate. This is the heartbeat of our church. This is how we're going to go about doing this. And what is the focus of our church? And it's not unusual for churches to have sermon series like this or a weekend like this. And normally it happens at the beginning of the calendar year. Normally it happens um, either January or February time. Meg and I decided to do it a little differently because um, we feel that after the summer, there really is somewhat of an internal calendar reset. You know, everything kind of gets back to normal. There's, you know, a regular routine of life that kind of is reestablished after summer when there's vacations and weekends at the lake and all those kind of things. So because things are starting to get back to a semblance of normal and our calendars are starting to get back into that rhythm, we thought this is a great time to come and bring some mission, vision, and culture to the church. So the next three weeks, we're going to be digging into this. This time last year, we did the same thing. And what I would say is that if you have a chance this week to go back either on our podcast or on our YouTube channel and find those three messages from last week, I was able to spend some time this week watching the same message I shared this weekend last year, so 52 weeks ago. And as I listened to it, I was reminded, like, you know what, I, I stand by what I said a year ago. I believe that that is as valid then as it is today. And one of the things that we looked at last year is the church mission statement. If you've been through Life Path or if you've been around the church for a while, you'll know this, that our mission statement, what our church is all about, and this predates Megan and I getting here, is that we are all about leading individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus Christ. Now, for Megan and I as a family, it's been three years this month since we began talking with the elders, Pastor Andy, Pastor Marianne, about transitioning up here to central New York. It was around six months of interviews and meetings, and we moved up to Baldwinsville in April 2020, right as the shutdown was starting. And despite the shutdown, it was a good move for us. The whole family, as I stand here today, we're very happy here. Baldwinsville is a great place for us to live. And when old friends get in touch with us and say, hey, how's it going up there? Um, I found myself typically replying, it's a good season for the Wood family. And I mean every single word of it. There was a, an amusing moment in the interview process where it was quite far into things, you know, we, we really sort of started to get into the nitty gritty of things and we were starting to seriously kind of talk about how this could all look if this appointment came to pass. And so Megan and I sat in the conference room at the back here and Pastor Randy and the elders were all gathered and Pastor Randy very solemnly just said, I need to tell you something. If we're going to go further, there's something I need to let you know. We got a lot of snow here. What I've since learned is that yes, indeed, we get a lot of snow here. But what's amazing is it can be a gale outside, it can be a blizzard outside, there can be a foot of snow, and the locals will all in unison say, this is nothing. You should have been here in 1997, or whatever year you wanna pick. 
So I guess this winter I might find out what a real winter's like, because apparently I haven't had one yet. But of course, us coming here and, you know, the church being, a, you know, the largest part of what draw us here and why we wanted to be here and why we believe God called us here to come and be a part of the church and to build this church. We instantly, and I mean instantly, fell in love with the church. We love that this church has a heart for worship. We love that at the root and the core of this church, there is a deep care and concern for people. There is an unshakable sense that we are a church on a mission. There are great people in this church, people who just overflow with kindness, who deeply care about this church. We have people in this church that for decades have faithfully built and served and tithed to make this church possible. There are people with a love for God and a love for people that is unmistakable. One of the great guys in our church, I'm going to name drop somebody, I hope it's okay, but John Gleason, come on somebody. John Gleason is a great part of our church. He's normally at the cafe on a Sunday morning. And John, we can applaud John. John's the man. I'm kind of getting, all right, where's this going? So John knows I'm a music fan. He knows I'm into Bob Dylan and the Beatles and all the good music. And one day, John says to me that there's a book he wanted to recommend, and the book was called Lennon, Dylan, Alice, as in Alice Cooper, and Jesus, The Spiritual Biography of Rock and Roll by a guy called Greg Laurie. So I started reading the book. It was fantastic. I actually listened to it on Audible while I was uh, detailing my car. Fascinating. It was a great book. But as part of reading that book, the author, Greg Laurie, who's a pastor in California, he started writing in the book about his own journey to come to faith. And that journey, he starts to refer to another book he'd written. And the book he'd written was called Jesus Revolution. So this is a different book to the one John led me to. But it led me to this book. And this book really has captured my imagination. Has really stuck with me. This book has been extremely influential and has really captivated me in these past few months. The book, Jesus Revolution, reflects on the Jesus movement in the U.S. in the late 60s and 70s. It was a sweeping revival among young people, especially the hippies and flower power kids. The states, more people were baptized during the Jesus movement than in any time since people started keeping record. In that book, it states more people were baptized during the Jesus movement than in any time since people started keeping records. Some estimates say that over two million people made decisions to follow Jesus in the United States as a result of the Jesus movement. The book follows largely the life and faith of the author, Greg Laurie. It also considers how the country at the end of the 60s was deeply divided along a variety of subjects. Along with great music, there was also social unrest. There were extreme questions and doubts about the trustworthiness of the government and institutions. The counterculture of young people rose up and became known as hippies. And the hippies didn't care about the same thing their parents did. They didn't adhere to the moral or ethical norms that was typical in the 1950s or the early 60s. Sexual liberation, recreational drug use, were all mixed in with a newfound creative expression. The promise of freedom of the mind, flower power, and the call for peace. And sadly, many found out that something was still lacking. The hippie philosophy and lifestyle didn't fix everything as it had promised. I'm sure it's easy to see why this book and the stories from the Jesus movement 50 years ago have captured my attention. They describe a spiritual revival, an awakening to the gospel, despite the outward appearance that all hope was lost. Back then, many churches were looking at the young people of their day and were completely hopeless that they would ever respond to the message of Jesus. And yet in this environment, when the church seemed destined to fail, God reminded everyone who was in charge of the church, and wondrous things happened. 
And hundreds of thousands, possibly even millions of people had their lives changed by the gospel. What got my attention, what has stuck with me, is that there was a deep transformation that happened during that revival. The author writes that the Jesus movement never preached a soft self-help kind of message, but rather the strong message of Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, we preach Christ crucified. This is a passage from the book that I think sums up one of the reasons that has really grabbed my attention. People say that they are spiritual, but not religious. A lot of them feel like going to church is irrelevant. They're impatient with the churches of their parents' generation. They want something more real, more radical, and more rugged. As one Christian journalist summed it up, millennials have a dim view of church. They're highly skeptical of religion, yet they are still thirsty for transcendence. But when we portray God as a cosmic buddy, we lose them. They have enough friends. When we tell them that God will give them a better marriage and family, it's white noise. They're delaying marriage and kids or foregoing them altogether. When we tell them they're special, we're merely echoing what educators, coaches, and parents have told them their whole lives. But when we present a ravishing vision of a loving and holy God, it just might get their attention and capture their hearts as well. This is what we all need today, young or old, in a weary, chaotic, selfie-saturated culture. We need a big, ravishing, transcendent, and transformational vision of who God really is. That is what happened 50 years ago. It can happen again today. Come on, somebody. There were some churches who embraced this new move of the Holy Spirit. Stuffy, traditional churches were now welcoming barefooted, caftan-wearing young people. They answered the questions of the kids who had zero Christian background. They patiently discipled people who were trying to mix Jesus with Eastern philosophy. Or they were working with kids who were trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, but niggling drug habits kept coming up. In the 1960s, men having long hair was a big deal, and the church people had to get over it. Churches would meet midweek in coffee shops and parks and enjoy being labeled Jesus freaks. The hippies were not known for their personal hygiene, and that didn't always change just because they started going to church. In some ways, it got messy and uncomfortable. Let me read you another passage from the book. A well-known surgeon in the area was a skeptic and did not hide his disdain very well when he found himself sharing a packed pew with hippies one Sunday morning. He spent the opening hymns alternately checking his watch and staring in derision at the long-haired young man next to him. He could not wait for the church service to be over. Then it was time for the congregation to stand and read a Bible passage out loud. The surgeon did not have a Bible with him. The shaggy hippie nudged him and handed the surgeon his worn, well-read Bible. The surgeon gingerly took the Bible like it was full of infectious disease, but then he saw that the pages were marked with handwritten notes and color highlighters. There was underlining everywhere and exclamation points. The Bible was well-loved, and the surgeon felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit as he thought of his own hygienic but unmarked Bible at home on the bookshelf. I'm the one who is wrong, he thought. I'm sorry. The churches that welcomed these young people with open arms and showed them the love of God saw amazing things happen. They got to be a part of true life transformation. And the book that I read is filled with stories of honest and authentic moments of life change in very unexpected ways. There was an insatiable hunger for the things of God from the most unlikely people. 
There was a simplicity and purity to it all. Chuck Smith, whose church, Calvary Chapel, was deeply impacted by the Jesus movement, was a true Bible teacher who declared the goodness of God. He definitely did not give self-help speeches with some Bible verses thrown in. He preached Jesus, and people responded. Our pastor, Mike Chase, who we all know and love, and never, ever disrespect, he was caught up in the movement on the East Coast. And Mike recently told me we were hungry for Bible teaching. Sunday, small groups, Bible studies, cassette tapes. We were hungry for Bible teaching and the Word of God. This incredible period of time led to a deep spiritual transformation. It wasn't surface level or polite or casual. And fast forward 50 years, my question is, has the cry of the American church changed? Instead of complete life transformation and authentic spiritual encounters, have we settled for God as a cosmic buddy, as the author writes? Have we let the growing self-centeredness of culture shape how we declare the message of Jesus? Have we let our own desperation to be happy determine how we listen to the message of Jesus? Have we reduced the gospel to a tool that will help us build whatever we want to build? And too often, church leaders like me are tempted to promote church instead of preaching Jesus. Often with good motives, we try to tell people that adding church to their calendar is worthwhile, or we promise that coming to church is beneficial. Without realizing what we're doing, pastors can be occupied with trying to convince people of the benefits of church attendance. In hopes that people will become a part of the church, we just make sure and we communicate how easy it is and how there's no commitment or pressure or expectation, and we accidentally minimize the importance of the message we are called to declare. We accidentally downplay the significance of our mission. The message of Jesus is a message concerning life and death. It has eternal consequences. It affects every person, everywhere, ever. So presenting church as simply something else that's worthwhile to add to our busy schedules is a strange undersell. It's closer to presenting God as a cosmic buddy rather than the deep life change that only Jesus can bring. Our mission as a church, again, leading individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus Christ. It's a mission of deep and total spiritual transformation. The gospel is completely life-changing, and life-changing in a way that it affects every single area of someone's life. We want people to come to church and feel welcome and a genuine sense of belonging but there's got to be more than that. We use social media and video and stage design to create a pleasing environment, but there's got to be more than that. At the church, we have many of the same programs and activities that other churches have, but there's got to be more than that. In the hopes of communicating the need for more than something surface level or polite or casual, the phrase that Megan and I felt sum this all up is simple, it's not wildly impressive, but it captures the heart of what we believe our church needs to grab a hold of. As simple as it is, our word for the next year or so is beyond Sunday. Beyond Sunday. If word of life is your church, you've accepted the mission. You've accepted in playing your part to embrace seeing the gospel affect every area of your life to anticipate the gospel breaking through a culture that appears to be pushing God away more than ever before. Beyond Sunday is to believe that Jesus died for so much more than to give us the chance to get together for an hour and a half every Sunday. 
Our mission to be faithful and effective is only fulfilled by being faithful and effective beyond Sunday. I'll say that again because it made me happy to write it. Our mission to be faithful and effective is only fulfilled by being faithful and effective beyond Sunday. The verse that I want to spend the most time in today is from the book of Colossians. It's not normally a verse that we'd speak on, but there's something in here that is really helpful for us. Colossians 1.6, the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. The good news, the message of Jesus, death and resurrection, the truth about God's wonderful grace is bearing fruit. What's the fruit? Change lives. The outcome of the message of Jesus is changed lives. Just as a healthy apple tree will inevitably produce apples, the gospel produces changed lives. And the magnitude of a changed life is complete and total. There is not a single area of a believer's life that is not affected by the gospel. What the hippies didn't want was a wishy-washy, easy-to-sell Jesus, but it was the promise of life change, and that is the true gospel. The message of Jesus is not selfish or surface or casual or polite. It's also not angry or cruel or self-righteous, but it's the truth about God's wonderful grace, the truth of God being motivated and driven by a love for humanity, a grace that gives infinitely more than any one of us deserves. A grace so wonderful that there are no words that can fully describe it. The promise of a restored relationship with God. The promise of an eternity with Him. This is life-changing. We will always proclaim the good news. And the good news will always change lives. We will always proclaim the good news. And the good news will always change lives. This time last year... On this weekend, we looked at the church's mission statement, leading individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus Christ. And in the same way, Megan and I believe that there should be a focus and weight to the words beyond Sunday for us today, last year we focused on the words faithful and effective right from the mission statement. That principle is as relevant today as it was 12 months ago. We will not lose the commitment to being both faithful and effective, not one or the other, but that by being both, we would see God bring people home. The verse that set this up for us last year, and this time last year, I was in this verse in Proverbs, without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. We can either have a messy stable with a large harvest, or a clean stable with a smaller harvest, but you can't have both. You can't have a clean stable and a large harvest. It's a helpful metaphor for us for many areas of life, but specifically as a church, the stable, of course, being the church, and the harvest being people. This proverb, even though we can apply it to many different areas of life, it gives us a choice as a church to be a neat and tidy church where everything is predictable. Everything is predictable. Everything is neat. Everything is tidy. Or we could be a messy church because we are consumed with reaching people. That is the harvest we care about. And we've made a commitment that we'll work with the mess because we care about the harvest. Word of life has a legacy and a commitment to prioritize the harvest above everything, including the clean stable. To fulfill the mission, we need to be both faithful and effective. 
And if we're going to be faithful and effective, we need to be faithful and effective beyond Sunday. In the last year since I shared that message with you, I've met people with zero church background realize that something was missing and come and respond to the message of Jesus. I've spoken to couples on the edge of their marriage breaking down, and yet they find a way to reconciliation. We've seen a surge in people going through the eight-week coaching program we have, learning to follow Jesus. I recently met someone who has started coming to church after Pastor Randy plowed their driveway for years. People have made Word of Life their church after coming to one of our outreach events. Our mission to be faithful and effective is only fulfilled by being faithful and effective beyond Sunday. The call to deep spiritual transformation, true life change, it runs throughout the whole Bible. And I want to read you a number of Bible verses that re-echo and restate the same point. It's important we get this deep in our hearts today. Back in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. In Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In Ephesians, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. From 2 Corinthians, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Colossians 3, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. 1 Peter So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. 1 John, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything else we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases the Father will live forever. If nothing else, those verses teach there is a deep heart transformation that God is calling his people to. The deep spiritual transformation is not a description of changing actions, habits, or behavior. But true repentance is a change in thinking, not a change in behavior. And of course, we see one follow the other. When we repent and we start to think differently about the world, we start to perceive the world differently, we start to understand things differently, that in turn affects behavior. But true repentance is a change in thinking. A truly deep heart transformation brings about a new way of thinking about life. It means we respond with love and kindness instead of anger or jealousy. Compassion instead of stubbornness. God's will is more valuable than our own ambitions. The change in heart and mind versus a reluctant change of behavior is an important distinction in discipleship. This isn't about simply doing what you hate, but changing what you love. It's not about doing what you hate, but it's about repenting and changing our minds and changing our perception, changing our hearts, and changing what we love. The hippie movement may, for all intents and purposes, be over. 
But we definitely have a generation coming up who have a noticeable disinterest in God or church. Just as we read that 50 years ago, there was no desire for God to be a cosmic buddy. I'm 100% confident that that is equally true today. And to help bring this home, I would ask you just to imagine somebody, someone you care about deeply, someone that you want to come to faith and become an active part of the church. And what I would put to you is, would you want them to have a polite interaction with the church every few Sundays or to have true life change? The person you care about, the person that as of today doesn't have faith, does not share your relationship with God, would you settle for them coming to church once in a while? Or would you want the message of Jesus to positively impact every aspect of their lives? What if this person has destructive things going on in their life? Do you want them to settle for a wishy-washy connection to a church or the kind of true life change we've been reading about? If we would want a Beyond Sunday kind of faith for the people we love and care about, especially those who at the moment don't appear to have that life-changing faith in God, shouldn't we want that for ourselves? Shouldn't we be dissatisfied with a casual and routine kind of spiritual life? Shouldn't we embrace all that God is Shouldn't we seek him to move and impact every area of our lives? If we would want that for others, let's embrace that for ourselves. I've got five ways. Everyone okay with five ways? Five ways to embrace our faith beyond Sunday. First thing, get back to the Bible. Get back to the Bible. I know I'm a broken record about this, but it's a vital truth that believers need to hear. The Assemblies of God is a denomination, a fellowship that we're a part of. They view the Bible like this. This is straight from their website. The scriptures, both the Old and New Testaments, are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to humanity, the infallible authoritative rule of faith and conduct. With that in mind, we're missing out by letting our Bibles get dusty on the shelf. We're missing out by leaving the Bible apps on our phone stay unopened. The Bible is God's gift to humanity, and it gives us a new and correct way to make sense of the world. It communicates God's goodness and His power and His authority. It shows us how to live in the brokenness of the world around us. The Bible gives both comfort and challenge. It's confrontational and compassionate. I like to read a Bible verse with the kids as I put them to bed every night. And particularly with Moses, my nine-year-old son, I like to read a proverb with him. And I read this with him, and I had him read this out. Proverbs 15:31. A wise child accepts a parent's discipline. A mocker refuses to listen to correction. Now, what happened when I had him read it is he starts reading, and he says, a wise child accepts a... Uh, and he stopped, looked up at me, and says, I don't want to say it. It's a challenge. It's confrontational. It's a new and correct way to make sense of the world around us. Jesus is a well-known passage. I would even go as far as say it's something that I come back to a lot because it helps me make sense not only of life, but of the Bible itself. In Jesus' day, the, the rabbis would often compete with one another, you know, about who knows more, who's the best rabbi, who's the best teacher, who's the wisest. And one of the ways they would do this is that they would publicly debate things. And one of the things that they would debate is of all that's written in the scriptures at the time, the Old Testament, of all that's written, What's the most important bit? Like, what's the one that summarizes everything else? And they bring this question to Jesus in Matthew 22. 
Jesus, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Which of all that's written is the most important one? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus' summary of the Bible. His summary, what what encompasses everything, the heart of the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's really easy for me to get up here and read this verse. It's really easy for me to get up and say, you, everyone else, love your neighbor as yourself. You, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's the easy bit. The difficult bit is when I wake up tomorrow morning and I'm going about my life is living this out. But that's the power of the Bible. It corrects how we go through. It brings a new perspective. It brings an alternative and correct perspective of how to go through life. And how can we possibly adopt all this? Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. I believe in good old fashioned daily Bible reading. If you do not have a Bible at the information desk outside, we have a Bible we would love to give you, a gift from us to you. Or, which is my preferred way of reading the Bible nowadays, the free YouVersion Bible app on your phone. I like using a Bible plan that takes me through the whole Bible in a year. I'm gonna share an opinion with you, it is just an opinion. I really like using the New Living Translation of the Bible. It's written in a very readable way and it is a faithful translation. I would even say that one verse a day is better than no verse a day. But daily Bible reading, burying it deep in our heart that we might not sin against Him, study His commandments, reflecting on His ways, delighting in His decrees, not forgetting His word, Putting this into practice will change how we think, how we perceive the world around us. Somewhere, we need to start and get back to the Bible. Second thing, be true and sincere worshipers. John 4, 23. But the time is coming, Jesus talking. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. I took some time this week to look up that verse and I was expecting and even hoping to find some interesting historical setting or a theological implication of this particular phrase. Instead, I read that what is on the page, the simplicity of it, that's all there is to it. This is the meat of the verse. That God is looking for those who will worship Him in this way, in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for people who will worship Him with sincerity and true passion. The true worship is a response to God's goodness. Worship is not singing along with the team. Worship is not waiting for my favorite song. It's certainly not an impressive performance. But worship is a response to the truth about God's wonderful grace. When the love of God becomes real to us, a passionate expression of that is the natural response. Our worship reminds our soul that He is who He is. Worship establishes the correct order in our relationship with God. You, God, are high and lifted up. You are holy and perfect and all-powerful and good and worthy. I am your humble servant, expressing my love and gratitude to you for all you are and for all you've done and all you've promised. Our pursuit to be faithful and effective beyond Sunday in our worship 
means when we gather together on Sunday mornings, we're eagerly anticipating and looking forward to the chance to lift up worship and praise to God as a whole church. And that the power of those moments together, they'll provoke a daily habit of worship beyond Sunday. That throughout our day, we enjoy offering worship solely for an audience of one. That our private times of prayer won't just be running through a list of requests, but also declaring God's goodness, irrespective of what I may be asking of Him. Third thing, to grow in gifting and leadership. Grow in gifting and leadership. Second Peter 1, by His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all this by coming to know Him, the one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, a moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Here's the verse. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if one person claps, we all have to. And this passage is clearly a call to be faithful, to be faithful stewards, faithful in what God has trusted to us, to be faithful with our opportunities, to be faithful in growing in our character. There's also the call to be productive and useful. I don't think it's too much of a leap to say, we could say effective. To be productive and useful is effective. All of this, it should make a difference, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. I've always loved that the word leading is in our mission statement. I believe that every believer is called to lead because we are all called to make a positive difference. And I still hold on to the cliche that leaders are learners. When I was in college, it used to be leaders are readers. But since then, YouTube and audiobooks and podcasts have come about. So some helpful person tweaked it to leaders are learners. The hard work and discipline of building our character, sharpening our skills and talents, growing our leadership abilities. There's no way this all happens on a Sunday morning. This is definitely a beyond Sunday challenge and a challenge we should take seriously. And this brings us to our next one. Number four determined to make a difference. Determined to make a difference. The great men and women of history were not great because of what they earned and owned, but rather for what they gave their lives to accomplish. It's a great quote from John Maxwell. Colossians 4, 5. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Our determination to make a difference is motivated by love, not religious obligation. A love for the people around us means that we should be determined to make a difference beyond Sunday. By getting back into the Bible, we adopt a new way of seeing and understanding the world. Having a heart for worship draws us closer and closer in our relationship with God. 
and we start to learn and care about our character and our gifting and our ability to lead to make a positive impact, and we care so much about the people around us that we become determined to make a difference. And that brings us to our fifth way to embrace our faith beyond Sunday. Number five, passionately abandoning sin. If we're faithfully preaching the good news of Jesus and we earnestly love and care for the people around us and we are determined to make a difference, we will see people want to abandon what they've always known for the new life they can have in Jesus. The great deception, the great deception for humanity hasn't changed. The great deception is if you abandon sin, you'll miss out. Tell that to someone whose life is falling apart right now because of sin, whether their own sin or as victims of someone else's. It's awful to watch when someone's destructive decisions catch up with them. It's awful to watch someone's habit become a life-controlling addiction or people just fitting in with what's normal and expected find out that it doesn't deliver as promised. In a moment of honesty, we have all seen sin have its devastating effects on people, whether our own lives or the lives of people we care about. And somehow the great deception that if you abandon sin, you'll miss out, keeps on trapping people. Whether we believe that we're the exception to the rule, or we think that sin is the only way, or whether our goal is to simply fit in with the broader culture, the message of Jesus is the opportunity to escape the power of sin, the opportunity to embrace new life in Jesus, to stop believing that happiness or joy or peace or fulfillment or contentment or value or purpose or well-being or respectability or goodness could ever be found in sin, but that life, true life, is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. We don't hate sin because we're angry, but because we love people and we hate the devastation and pain and death that sin inevitably brings. During the Jesus Revolution, the churches preached a strong message of love and repentance, a strong message about the devastating and tragic consequence of sin, and lives were changed. The goodness and grace of God was embraced. Back to our verse in Colossians 1. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Those five ways to embrace our faith beyond Sunday. Get back to the Bible. Be true and sincere worshipers. To grow in gifting and leadership. Be determined to make a difference. And let's passionately abandon sin. As I was thinking about this this week and writing this down and getting ready for this morning, I realized that abandoning sin brings us all the way back to the Bible. As we seek to find out what we should replace our sin with, what are we replacing and what are we filling that vacuum with? If we're going to passionately abandon sin, it's going to leave some gaps. It's going to leave something behind. It's going to try and leave behind a way of processing and understanding the world around us. There's going to be a vacuum of how on earth do we make sense of life. And that brings us right back to get back to the Bible. Get back to the Bible. Something needs to take that place. Otherwise, we typically just return to old thinking and the old life. We read about that a number of times today. But abandoning sin means we turn this list into a positive and life-giving cycle. The Bible brings a new worldview to replace what we've always had. 
as we discover the goodness of God through His Word, it evokes worship out of us. It's a natural response to His wonder and His goodness. And then we get to live determined to make a difference and grow in our giftings and our character. And we can expect to help people respond to the gospel and to be able to provoke a desire in them to break free and abandon sin themselves. The next step, let's get back to the Bible and it just keeps going. In all of this, in all of this, we cannot underestimate the role of hope. Simply put, hope believes that the future can be better than today. Hope believes change is possible. Hope doesn't agree that how it is today is how it will always be. What if we started seeing people old and young alike, sick and tired of the life they're living, and they flood into churches ready to hear some truth? Imagine if the youth ministry was making such a difference in the lives of middle school and high school students that parents were piling in here just to find out what is going on. How come my teenager has got their act together? What if there was a widespread habit of the Bible app being the first app people opened on their phones in the morning? What if the prayer and worship nights we have here, what if it truly ignited believers to build a powerful prayer life and a dependency on the Holy Spirit? Imagine the impact of masses of people asking for forgiveness and restoring relationships with estranged loved ones. Why can't our small groups be filled with people that are brand new to faith, bringing all their questions and all their uncertainties and finding answers rooted in biblical truth and full of grace and love? What a difference it would make to see a generation of elementary school kids who are overflowing with kindness. Imagine if we all acted as role models and fully embraced an authentic and life-changing relationship with God. People seeking freedom, peace and joy, not just 90 minutes on a Sunday, but 24-7. And if we led the way, only God knows who would follow. If we led the way, only God knows who would follow. And that, my friends, is our mission, leading individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus Christ. I want to read a few verses that powerfully encapsulate the gospel from Romans 5, starting in verse 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Now from what Paul wrote in that passage, there's some bad news. Paul talks about us being utterly helpless. Paul talks about us facing God's condemnation, about being God's enemies. On three separate times, he describes us as being sinners. But there's the good news, that at just the right time, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We have been made right in God's sight. 
that we have been saved from God's condemnation, that friendship with God was restored, that certainly we will be saved through the life of His Son so we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. This is truly life-changing. This affects absolutely everything. The grace and the goodness of God permeating our everyday lives. Our mindsets and values are determined by what the kingdom of God says, not popular opinion of the moment. This kind of transformation is unmistakable to the people around us. This is being faithful and effective beyond Sunday. Instead of complete life transformation and authentic spiritual encounters, Have we settled for God as a cosmic buddy? We will always proclaim the good news and the good news will always change lives. Our mission to be faithful and effective is only fulfilled by being faithful and effective beyond Sunday. And this isn't about simply doing what you hate, but changing what you love. And those five ways to embrace our faith beyond Sunday, get back to the Bible Be true and sincere worshipers. Grow in gifting and leadership. Be determined to make a difference. Passionately abandoning sin. And imagine if we all acted as role models and fully embraced an authentic and life-changing relationship with God. If we led the way, only God knows who would follow. A couple of questions for you. We do this at the end of most services. If you got a pen, write these down, give you a chance to think about this this week and pray about it, perhaps talk to somebody. The first question I put to you is, how is your faith shaping your life beyond Sunday? How is your faith shaping your life beyond Sunday? The second question, what difference would getting back to the Bible and being true and sincere worshipers make? What difference would it make if we would get back to the Bible and be true and sincere worshipers? What difference would it make? One of the verses that I read from that longer passage in Romans, it remains today to be my favorite verse of the whole Bible. There's a long story about why it's my favorite verse. I'll save that for another time. But this verse means so much to me because it's so powerful to read this and reflect on this verse in light of what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. Romans 5.8, but God showed his great love for us. God showed his great love for us. God demonstrated his love for us. God proved his love for us. How? By sending Christ to die for us. Sending his son to pay the price that I never could. Sending his son to go to the cross and take on the sin of the world so that all the regrets that I have, all the mistakes that I have, every sin I've ever committed, everything that should put a distance between me and God, everything that should separate me from God and cause a fracture in our relationship, all of it can be dealt with on the cross once and for all. And he did it while we were still sinners. Not after I tried my best to clean myself up. Not after I tried to get my act together. Not after I said, I'm really, really sorry. I promise I'm going to do better next time. Not then. But while I was in the middle of my mess, while I was on my very worst day, Jesus died for me. He died for me. That is how God showed his great love for you and for me. So I want to put to you, you may be here today, you may be visiting. You may have been a part of the church for a long time. I don't know, but you're here today. This is the message you've heard. And these are the Bible verses that is what we went through today. And I want to ask you, 
Are you in that right relationship with God? Have you had that life-changing response to the good news of Jesus? That message of grace, that wonderful message of truth, the message of love. Has your life been completely changed? If not, my friend, please don't wait another day. The best decision I ever made 19 years ago was the decision to follow Jesus. In the past 19 years, my life has had ups and my life has had downs just like yours has. But in those 19 years, I have never once regretted my decision to follow Jesus. And I want to give you that same opportunity today. If you don't mind just closing your eyes and bowing your heads, it's just to give some discretion to the people around you. It's just to give us a chance to focus on what matters right now. But if you'll be honest and brave enough today to say, Tom, you know what? I'm not following God with everything. I'm not pursuing Him. I'm not experiencing the deep life change that the Bible promises, but I want to. My friend, we'd love to pray for you today. And if you don't mind just putting your hand up so when we pray in a moment, I know who we're praying for. Wonderful, amen. I promise we won't embarrass you, but I'd love to know who we're praying for today. Anybody else here? Amen, wonderful, amen, thank you. Anyone else here? I give you my word, we're not gonna do anything you'll regret on the way home, but when we pray together, I'd love to know who we're praying for. Anyone else here this morning? Amen. Amen. Come on, Word of Life. Can we please celebrate people making the best decision? Amen. We're going to pray a prayer together. The words are going to be on the screen. I invite every single person here to pray along with us. And if you're one of those people that put your hand up a moment ago, or if you didn't put your hand up, but you know you wanted to, pray this prayer with faith, believing things start to change after we pray a prayer like this. So come on, everybody. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, everybody, let's celebrate with people. Amen. Amen.